On this episode of Cannabis Business Minds, we talk about how strategic thinking, having a talented and strong team, and a good company culture can take your business to the next level. Strategic planning, quarterly meetings, and budgets, they're not just a thing for corporate America. Every business owner should be planning and thinking ahead. Our guest on today's show has dedicated his life to medical cannabis. Bryce Berryessa talks to us about conscious capitalism and organizational awareness and how he's built multiple successful cannabis brands in California. Cannabis sales were $5.7 billion in 2015. Cannabis industry is valued at $22.8 billion by 2020. In 1996, there wasn't a single dispensary in the U.S. In 2016, there are 25 states that have legalized medical marijuana. Welcome to the Cannabis Business Minds podcast, where you gain insight from business leaders in the cannabis industry to help take your business to the next level. For the past 10 years, Bryce has dedicated his professional life to medical cannabis. He's immersed himself in sustainable agricultural practices, product development, branding, and extraction. He's consulted internationally. He's the president and the founder of Medical Dispensary in Santa Cruz, and he's also the president and the co-founder of Freedom Enterprises. Freedom Enterprises has four distinct brands and dozens of award-winning products in the infuse and concentrate medical cannabis market. Bryce is a consultant, he's an advocate, he's an entrepreneur, and he's definitely a leader. Bryce, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Thank you so much. That was such a brief intro. I already mentioned it to you like in some emails that I'm so impressed with your resume and everything that you've been able to accomplish in, you know, in a decade. Right. So could you give could you fill in the blanks a little bit of of what got you into this space and how you've evolved since 2006 to 2016? Uh, yeah, so my my entrance into medical cannabis was very abrupt and unplanned. Uh, I had graduated from the University of Utah in 2005 and uh, was at a pivotal moment in my life trying to decide what I was going to do next after working full-time and going to college full-time for five years. And uh, I got a random job offer to go work on an organic farm in Nevada City, California. Uh, I showed up for the working interview not understanding what kind of organic farm it was. <laughs> And uh, that was my first experience with uh, live cannabis plants and uh, immediately called a few friends to see if what I was doing was illegal. And coming from Utah, you know, walking into a beautiful garden with 14 foot tall cannabis plants was a little bit shocking. And, you know, I I, uh, I got a crash course in farming practices and and medical cannabis law and uh, really just started falling in love with the plant and studying it as a modality for symptomology relief. And I had a a wonderful teacher in agriculture for my first two years in Nevada City and Grass Valley. And it was very close to UC Davis. There's a phenomenal ag community, uh, very focused on organic agriculture and best practices. So, you know, the first five years of my, my time in cannabis was very much focused on learning how to cultivate the plant in a way that was sustainable and in a way that really paid homage to its medicinal values. So I think it's it's paramount, especially as we move forward, to ensure patients and 
if it does go recreational, you know, a, a peace of mind that the product that they're consuming has been cultivated with best practices and intentions and done so in a way that's free of systemic pesticides and, and microbial contaminants. And so, you know, that that's what really fascinated me first was just learning agriculture, learning soil microbiology, learning how different systems work in nature. And uh, from that, it kind of evolved into you know, opening up a retail shop. And uh, once we had the retail shop, we were amazed that something that is a medicine could be provided to patients uh, as a food in the, in the form of an edible or a concentrate. And what was on the package wasn't necessarily indicative of what was inside of it. And uh, that there was, you know, a lot of people were producing things in their kitchen and they didn't have any basic food handling safety. They didn't have an understanding of, uh, you know, commercial food processing and best practices. Practices. And so for the desire to provide a safe product for our patients, uh, you know, that's kind of how Hashman Infused and Waxman Concentrates was born is we initially just wanted to create products for our patients that we knew were safe and that was consistent throughout the entire supply chain. So if you bought a chocolate bar in January, it was going to be the same experience if you bought a chocolate bar, you know, in December of the next yep. year. Um, you know, so it's kind of just a natural evolution. And as the industry grew and evolved, you know, we were able to grow and evolve and bring in some funding and, and work on our organizational structure and, you know, just had quite a wild ride, but it's been a lot of fun, uh, transitioning the brands and, and building the business and trying to really do something unique and special. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and we talked a little bit about politics and I didn't mention this in your bio at all, but you are actively involved in a few industry organizations really focused on regulation and, and really what's happening in California. Can you, when did you, I mean, so you've been in the, involved in ten, like for 10 years, you know, the first five was really understanding the plant and then, then you understood like, okay, I want to make an impact with retail and then with infused products. When did you get involved in into the the political advocacy? Yeah, so um, I was a partner in a dispensary in San Jose about five years ago and there was a lot of changes going on in San Jose City and uh, it became apparent to us at that time that in order to ensure that we had a business moving forward we needed to become active in the political process and so um, you know that was my initial jaunt into politics was working with the San Jose Patients Alliance and some other groups there that were industry driven trying to help policymakers shape an ordinance and rules and regulations that would allow us to exist and allow business to thrive but also so be mindful of the community's needs and various stakeholders. And, you know, from there, I, I was lucky enough to be a founding member on the board of a group called the Association for Standardized Cannabis, which was very focused in Santa Cruz County, shaping policy um, and, and still on the board of that group and still very active. But as MAMRSA has passed, uh, you know, it's been imperative that uh, not only are we active on a local level to ensure that we are going to get local permitting, but also active on a state level. So I am uh, the board representative for California Growers Association for Santa Cruz and Monterey County. Uh, I'm also on the manufacturing subcommittee for the California Cannabis Industry Association. And, you know, 
we work, we meet weekly with those groups to talk about what's going on in the state, to work with the various uh, institutions that are going to be regulating us, whether it be the Department of Consumer Affairs or the Department of uh, Food and Ag. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a ton of dialogue going on. And one thing that's been really neat at the state level is they really want the industry's input. They want to work with us. They want to make sure that they get it right and uh, get as much knowledge from industry professionals as possible to ensure the smoothest transition into a regulated market. And so, you know, my, my, a huge part of my work has been working on policy and advocacy, both on the local and the state level the last few years. And, you know, I would encourage any cannabis business or any entrepreneur to really set aside part of your budget for government relations, but also, you know, part of your time to network with your local communities and trade groups and get involved in CGA and CCIA and help us do the work that we need to at the state level. Cause it's, it's important and it's a neat time cause it's happening fast. I don't know of any other industry where you have so many business professionals that are in competition with each other that collaborate so closely together because, you know, the need to bring transparency and professionalism and best practices and regulation to this industry is so important for all of us that it's a beautiful moment where we get to collaborate and cooperate together and and get those goals met first and then you know we're going to be able to bring in the industry with all of our individual businesses you know full force and you know hopefully make a positive change so yeah absolutely if you're not in politics like or if you're not in cannabis you're not in politics i i really really believe that uh have you guys seen a lot of uh um, as we approach to th- like November, have you seen a lot more activity of people getting involved into that space and into the political advocacy? And have you seen since Mimursa has passed and we're getting closer and we're ramping up it, to 2018, a lot of improvements? Southern California, we are so far behind you guys in terms of regulation. How's it going up there in Santa Cruz? You know, Santa Cruz is and Monterey counties have been an interesting ride. Um, there's been a ton of time and resources spent into trying to regulate cannabis in Santa Cruz County. And, you know, we have such a deep and rich history with cannabis in this county that uh, it's very ingrained in our cultural identity here, for better or worse. Uh, The very first collective in the country ever was founded in Santa Cruz, uh, the Women Men's Alliance for Medical Marijuana, also known as WAM. So, you know, Mike and Valerie Corral are a huge reason why we have Proposition 215 and SB 420. Um, You know, there's so many leading companies out of Santa Cruz uh, on the manufacturing side of things, whether it be Bad Fish or Pure Extracts or Happy High Seed Company. I mean, we just have a lot of national winning brands here. So the the community is really good, but there's also been a huge proliferation of outdoor grows and no regulation that have caused problems. So, you know, we had an ad hoc community that was met various stakeholders to talk about cannabis and try to come up with good regulation. And that's been going on for four years, not the ad hoc community, but cultivation regulation has been going on for four years in the county. And we're really close to licensing and permitting. Uh, Dispensaries here are going to be licensed and permitted by the end of the year. And uh, it's looking like manufacturing is is not far behind. So it's, it's a very long process when you're trying to get everyone's input and try to get various stakeholders and opposition groups to agree. One thing that I really love that we've done here is groups that are on totally opposing sides have been able to work together and kind of find a middle path and compromise. And I think that we are having a much better 
set of regulation for everybody, not just the industry because of that. So. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so you as an entrepreneur, you're doing policy, you're doing international consulting, you are, you know, leading, you know, the Hashman brand, you have a dispensary. How are how are you building such a, you know, a massive I don't want to use empire because it always sounds bad, but you're, you're doing so many great things. You're helping so many people. How do you do this? <laughs> uh, lots of coffee. Um, you know, it's just tackling one thing at a time and really trying to narrow our focus and, and make sure that we execute. And, you know, the, the most important thing is having talent and having a good team and a good culture. And, you know, that's one thing that's been so fun to see with the dispensary evolve over the last year and a half is I just have a phenomenal team and we work really close together and it's very close knit. And everyone that is involved in that organization is invested in its success and really puts the patients and the dispensary forward. Um, and, and, and if you don't fit into that cultural, that, that cultural fit, you just, people don't seem to last very long because it's, it's, it, it's, it's very family, but it's also very project oriented. And so, you know, we, we do a lot of strategic planning and we do a lot of, um, a lot of goals and priority setting and we go back and we check our goals each quarter and we make sure that we stick to our annual plan and that helps. And, you know, the same thing with freedom. Freedom's been a wonderful crash course in starting a business because we've grown uh, significantly faster than we ever imagined. And uh, we've been able to take on investment and it's been, it's been a wild ride and trying to maintain a small culture in a fast growing industry and a fast growing company is challenging at times, but, um, you know, we have such a wonderful staff. And so I think that's, that's the most important thing I can come back to is, you know, it's people having the right people and, and figuring out systems where you can communicate together and work towards a common goal is what allows the magic to happen. And also at, at the base of that is creating a product that we can be proud of and putting the patients first. I think that's the most fun thing about what we do is, you know, we've really focused on the medical aspect of things. And so we get feedback every week from patients of how our products or how our services at the dispensary are changing their lives and enabling them to feel better or to live more healthy or to overcome obstacles that traditional pharmaceuticals haven't been able to alleviate. Um, yeah. Well, I think listening to the patients and always having the concept of like strategic innovation is how you will always be successful and no matter what you do. I mean, if you think about a patient or later on, you know, a consumer, if when it goes adult use, it's like you just need to listen to those people and continue to add value and teamwork. Yes, because I one of the things on your LinkedIn profile that I just loved was your your summary of who you are. And you I, I don't have it in front of me, but you mentioned conscious capitalism and organizational awareness and and I feel like you've kind of elaborated on this a little bit with the teamwork and how you organize everything. But can you please define what is conscious capitalism and then what is organizational awareness? <laughs> sure. Sure. So, you know, to me, essentially, conscious capitalism is the knowledge, drive and motivation to understand that success is defined more than just profits. And so, you know, I think that this industry more than most because it's nascent and uh, also is rooted in in healing and in personal and 
personal betterment and freedom uh, has a really good opportunity to kind of shape what the traditional definitions of capitalism have been. And, you know, there's there's lots of organizations that embrace this, but, you know, it's triple bottom line profits. It's people, planet, profit. It's having a deep and rich cultural environment that actually rewards your workers. It's having brand promises that are followed through with that people can rely upon you to know that they're not just getting a good product, but there's been uh, an awareness of how that product was sourced to them, whether it be fair trade or organic or sustainable or trying to minimize packaging and waste or to embrace third-party certification that shows that you are paying attention to you know, best practices for waste disposal management or green chemistry. So, you know, for me, conscious capitalism is is understanding that there's more than just profits. Profits are incredibly important in any business because it's what enables you to grow and to innovate and to be successful. You can't do those things if you don't have the resources. But, um, you know, it's defining your success in more than the bottom line. And, uh, you know, it's, it's also really how you integrate with your community, both within your organization and outside of it. So, um, and, and that's the thing, organizational awareness is how how that mantra that vision is spread throughout the organization you know every person in an organization is absolutely imperative to its success and whether that's the janitor or whether it's your desk person or whether it's the ceo you know having an awareness of what your visions and goals are throughout the entire organization to where if you say you know what are our quarterly priorities there's not a single person in that organization that shouldn't be able to answer that question because everyone's in it together um you know that's kind of that's kind of the goal. It's hard in execution when you're growing and, and, you know, when you're running, you get caught up in the day to day. But I think that the businesses that are the most successful that I look to are the ones that really embrace those concepts. And, you know, once again, another thing I love about the cannabis industry is it seems like the majority of businesses at some, some essence really want to have that as part of their core fundamental values. So, yeah, no. And that, so that was, I guess, two questions on that. I think organizational structure and ensuring that you have this conscious capitalism is fundamental. I mean, if you look at any of the successful companies, you might have a great product, but if they're not the, you see the tenure of success and it's always with the people and it's always with ensuring that those people are happy. Um, it's interesting as we go into like the millennial and we go into, you know, this, this concept of digitalization and this new uh, digital economy, how that might change, though. So uh, it, it's just kind of more a fascinating science experiment. Um, how do you do consulting on this as well? Or is I mean, I, I remember reading somewhere on your background that you also consult because I think the most interesting thing that you said is it's hard to implement. Like this sounds great. But if someone's listening to this, like and if they wanted to start implementing and get everybody aware and not just care about profits and care about about those three P's, how would even somebody start that? Um, yeah, so kind of two-part question. You know, most of my consulting work had been in environmental grow room design and sustainable cultivation practices. And, you know, I, I haven't been able to do as much consulting because of bandwidth in the last two years, but I've been able to consult with some amazing companies in Nevada and Canada and California. And, you know, it's it's been such a great learning experience for me. But as far as, you know, my advice for starting up a business and really looking at a good vision, um, we were blessed to have uh, a very smart entrepreneur uh, invest in Freedom Enterprises. And one of his stipulations is, is that we followed a 
a management practice that essentially uh, came from a book called Mastering the Rockefeller Habits. And there's another book called Scaling Up, which is Rockefeller Habits 2.0. And uh, it is just, it's a good Bible for any organization to have. Uh, it provides a lot of structure. It gives you a ton of insight into how to manage goals and tasks and to not get distracted as you're growing a business and really focus on the things that are going to na- enable you to drive your culture, drive value and, uh, and just be organized. And you know, that that's kind of my advice is I would say, check out scaling up 2.0. Uh, we use a computer system called rhythm systems that help us meet our quarterly priorities and manage how we're doing against those and um you know communication is key so uh you you know there's there's a lot of great companies and great consultants out there for business but i think defining what your values are what sets you apart and what you want to accomplish and really keeping those at the forefront of your organization as you plan and grow is is very important yep perfect and this like segues perfectly into freedom enterprises so i was hoping that we could spend the rest of this interview just talking about the evolution of this company since 2012. And I, I think it's very interesting and I'd love for you to elaborate on scaling, right? I mean, I want to hear about the evolution four years that you've been doing this and you've clearly ramped up. I mean, the reason why I wanted to interview you before knowing about any of your other things was because of the Hashman infused Waxman and those products. So could you talk a little bit about the evolution of Freedom Enterprises? Yeah. Um, you know, as I, as I mentioned briefly before the Freedom Enterprises kind of sprang out of uh, wanting to create products for the members of our dispensary that were safe and reliable and consistent. And, you know, we found that there was so much inconsistency in what the vendors that were coming to the dispensary were offering. uh, And it being a medical product was kind of astounding. So, you know, our goal was that if you had one chocolate bar, chocolate bar 10,043 was going to be the same dosage, the same ingredients. And, you know, initially we looked towards the food and pharmaceutical industries for insight as to how to operate and, and how to create our best manufacturing processes and our SOPs. And um, so, you know, we, we started small and, you know, kind of like most companies, it was out of a garage. And then we moved into a 1,200 square foot warehouse. And then we moved into a 3,500 square foot warehouse. And, you know, then we moved into a 12,000 square foot facility. And, um, you know, just trying to grow along the way and, and go from, you know, essentially five dispensaries to over 300 in less than two years creates a lot of challenges. Um, but you know, one thing that I really love about starting out with freedom is so much innovation and, you know, it's, it's nice to be at the forefront and now it's more and more difficult because there's so much talent and so many companies coming in, but you know, we were one of, if not the first companies to actually brand wax with our waxman line. And we were one of the very first companies to do terpene enhanced and flavored wax. Um, and you know, not, not too long ago, you didn't see edible products that were more than 200 milligrams. And one of my favorite stories with, with Freedom Enterprises is my partner Brian and I were meeting with a food scientist in Burlingame and we were getting ready to do all the analysis for our nutritional facts for our chocolate bars and we had a really good meeting and as we were leaving uh, this woman was like hey you guys I have three pounds of Pop Rocks in the trunk of my car I just got back from this food convention I'm not going to do anything with them do you want them and you know we were like sure we'll take three pounds of Pop Rocks so (laughs) you know we we moved the box into my truck and as we're eating lunch uh, you know we're like what are we going to do with these things and 
Brian's like, well, we should put them in a chocolate bar. And this was in, this was in March. And I said, well, we should do a special 420 chocolate, uh, bar and so we came up with the 420 milligram cherry bomb which has pop rocks in it and at the time that was one of the one of the very highest milligram edibles on the market and you know it was a risk for us because we were a startup and we did 500 chocolate bars and you know this was a $40 chocolate bar on the shelf and we were like no one's going to buy this thing it's too much money you know a $40 chocolate bar is ridiculous uh, and still to this day it's our number one selling skew and you know people love it and we've had great feedback and you know it kind of just happened by coincidence um so yeah well and it's strategic innovation you know what i mean it's like it's like let's like test the boundaries let's disrupt something and that is kind of how i believe success runs so i mean so my next question was why do you think your brands are unique right like why do you think your products are unique in the industry because clearly you have been able to breach the patients reach this consumer they love your products right so what would you say there's like to define the uniqueness of your products um sure you know that question has changed over time because you know we were unique because we were consistent and you know trying trying to put ourselves with some of the bigger companies like bang and kiva and Venice cookie company and you know those guys were the leaders in patients being able to know that what they were buying is what they were getting you know the, the package represented the product and um you know we were at the front of the the, the market with with our wax and and things like that and you know as that's changing there's so much more competition so we've been spending a ton of time this year trying to reanalyze how we're going to continue to innovate and be at the, the forefront you know but for now I would say one thing that you know really makes us unique is is our our branding on our hashman line is is phenomenal and we have a really good quality product, but, um, it, it's also unique in its presentation and its aesthetic. Um, if you haven't seen our chocolate bars before, they're shaped kind of like a, a circle with a pie. So in each chocolate bar, you get 10 wedges that you can break apart really easily. So depending upon the dosage, you can get an exact 10 milligram, 20 milligram, or in the case of the cherry bomb, a 42 milligram dose. And, um, you know, really wanting to streamline on all of our packaging dosing instructions. So when the patient is able to get our product, they know exactly how to get the milligrams they need, whether that's in our tinctures, uh, we have it broken down per dropper, whether it's in our capsules or our chocolates, um, you know, just having that instruction and that peace of mind that comes when you have a company that invests heavily in testing and standardization. So, you know, they, they know what they're getting and, um, you know, the product and what's in it is always first, but, you know, branding is a lot of fun too. And I do think that that's one thing that sets us apart is we do have a very distinct brand in the shelf. Um, I feel like we were one of the companies to really step it up in the cannabis industry as far as what our packaging and the aesthetic looks like. And, you know, now we're really focused on just increasing the quality of our products. And by the end of the year, we're going to come out with a couple new SKUs that I think are going to be game changers and really exciting for people to be able to, to check out. Oh, I'm excited. No, I love, I mean, when I'm looking at your website, I just love the products and the design and I love the, you know, the discrete drops that you could have at night. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful product line. I wanted to ask you, you mentioned already the standardization testing, but could you walk us through some, I mean, we don't have much time, but of the quality control procedures that you make sure that you implement in your, in your manufacturing facility? Sure. So, you know, this kind of ties into the the evolution of the company, but 
you know, as we started out, we tried to do everything. And um, in February of last year, the city where we were operating out of decided to ban cannabis. And so we had to move our entire manufacturing floor and um, all of our offices in less than 30 days, which when you had 55 employees and a lot of equipment is quite a challenge. Uh, fortunately, we had formed a very strategic partnership with a company called La Vida Verde, and they have a phenomenal product called Metaroons, um, which if you haven't seen, I'd highly recommend checking out. You can find them throughout the state, but it's a raw, vegan, organic coconut macaroon. And so uh, we provide them with oil and the uh, help them with their distribution and uh, the the owner of that company and the founder comes from 20 years uh, as an executive chef at Michelin star restaurants and had had a conventional food company. So one of the things that we decided to do strategically is to um, leverage him and the Vita Verde to take over a huge portion of our manufacturing. So, uh, you know, this goes back to people and success, you know, having that strategic partnership and that, that collaboration with him has really allowed us to increase our manufacturing because he does everything to FDA standards. So uh, in his conventional line, he worked with Costco and Whole Foods and, uh, you know, would have inspections. And so, you know, with our oil, what we do is we test the trim before we get it. Uh, We test the oil after we we process it in our CO2 extractors, and then we do quarterly testing of all of our SKUs to ensure that um, there's not any anomalies. But when you have good test results to start with, it's all based off of math. So as long as you get the math right, you can ensure and, and the product's homogenized correctly, whether it's in chocolate or or a cookie, um, you know, you can pretty much guarantee that that is going to be consistent throughout. So, you know, testing is huge. And then, you know, just having proper documentation and record keeping and making sure that your recipes are identical throughout the manufacturing process really ensures that you're going to have a consistent product time and time again. And, you know, that's where Levita Verde and Eric have been so helpful is, you know, that's his specialty. So, um, yeah, the, the long and the long and the short of it is, you know, you can look at GMPs from other industries, which is good manufacturing processes, but also having people that you're pulling that have had the experience to do this in conventional food or pharmaceuticals is a, is a really streamlined and quick way to, to help you get there. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. There's a lot of things that are unique to cannabis, but there's also a lot of things we can learn and pull from industries that are doing things very similar to ours. Um, and in a lot of instances, identical minus one ingredient. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think that's a common misconception is people get into this and they're like, oh, I'm going to need to write this brand new SOP. It's like, well, you we could reference something else I'm helping some some people up north like even do that so you guys are I mean really when I think about your evolution there's people that are looking to get in and I'm, I'm more thinking about the Southern California market more more than the northern where they're maybe at the point of yeah they already have a product they're they're happy with their branding but they have no idea yet that they need to be following standard operating procedures that they need to be testing in this in the sequence that you named so um, thank you for sharing that I think it's going to be very helpful yeah and just just to chime in you know a lot of local permitting and unequivocally for a fact state permitting is going to require that you submit your SOPs and your best practices and documentation uh, as part of getting your license. So, you know, this stuff isn't something that's off in the future. State licensing is going to be able to be applied for in less than 18 months from now. And, you know, so it's, it's now's the time. It it not only helps your business run a lot more efficiently, but it's going to, what's going to, it's going to be a crucial component of what allows you to continue to be 
be in business uh, in the near future. Yep, yep. And then I always think, because I come from like an audit background, it's like you need to make sure, and I love that you guys do the quality like audits. I think you said quarterly just to make sure that it's all working. Okay, well, we only have a little bit of time, so I want to ask you a few more wrap-up questions. Um, it's kind of like the lightning round. Um, sure. And so, but thank you for all of that overview already. The first question is, with your experience, what do you think the number one reason people fail to succeed in the cannabis industry is? Lack of focus. There's so many opportunities that it's really easy to get off into the weeds. And I think the most successful companies are going to be the ones to identify what they do the best and really focus on executing on that. Good answer. Okay. What recommendations do you have for someone wanting to make their brand stronger? Look to the brands and the people that inspire you. Um, And that doesn't mean, you know, go be a carbon copy, but uh, draw inspiration from the things that, you know, you get passionate from, from the brands that you really feel are doing a good job and um, use that to spark your own creativity to create something unique. All right. Where do you see yourself and Freedom Enterprises a year from now? No, that's a really good question. Um, I see us consolidated in a permitted facility and uh, having continued to grow our culture and build out our team and just uh, be really happy with, uh, you know, our growth in the state of California. So with with focus, you know, our original ambitions were to be a national brand by this year. And, um, you know, our, our goal now is to just really be strong in California for the next couple of years and really put out and make the products that we have even better. So. Okay. And then the last question is probably one of the most important is how can our listeners find out more about you and find out more about all of the things and products and companies that you're doing? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, the, the World Wide Web is the best. So uh, the dispensary, our website is thecookieco831.com. Uh, we are about to relaunch our Hashman Infused website, which is hash, hashmaninfused.net and uh, waxmanconcentrates.net. And uh, you can reach me at bryce at hashmaninfused.net. And that's H-A-S-H-M-A-N-I-N. F-U-S-E-D. All right. Perfect, Bryce. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and your insight. I love this interview. I I learned a lot from you and I'm inspired. Uh, Thank you for having me. It was great. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And have a good day. You too. Thank you guys so much for joining me on this episode of Cannabis Business Minds. I was truly inspired by the conversation that that I had with Bryce. I mean, he's a true innovator. He's passionate about politics, but he really knows some of the fundamental core keys to success in a business. And one of them is the team and the corporate culture. So many times we forget about that, but it's really, in essence, the fundamental thing to, to success. I hope you all have a fantastic day and I'll see you next week for next week's show. Cheers.